Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The word of the Lord. Is that better? Yes. Awesome. Well, I'm still Harrison, one of the pastors here at ET. Amen. It's one of my, uh, my great privileges to open up God's Word uh, and uh, hopefully, hopefully help us all fall more and more in love with our Creator and our Redeemer, our Sustainer of life. Uh, will you go to Him and pray with me? Father, we thank you that we can come before you this morning, that we can open up your word and hear from you. Father, would you transform our hearts, uh, our loves, our lives this morning for your glory uh, and for our joy. Father, for the growth of your kingdom here uh, and around the world. In Jesus, amen. One of the things that used to marvel me when I was a kid and and they still amaze me a little bit, but not quite as much, uh, is these, these individuals that would do these tightrope walks, like across um, the uh, Niagara Falls or between these high buildings, you know, in, in a big downtown area like Chicago or New York or something like that. And they'd get out there, and it looked like there was no safety net under them. And in a lot of cases, there wasn't. Uh, what I realized later on that most of these individuals, not all, but most of these individuals still had some sort of a cable attached to the cable they were walking on. You know, there was a harness around their waist, so they still had some sort of a safety net, right? So that we, we want safety nets, and we look for safety nets in different parts of our lives, whether they're relational, financial, uh, whether you're walking a tightrope across Niagara Falls, we want some sort of a safety net. And one of the ones that uh, sort of amazed me the most uh, back in 2016 in July, there was a guy named Luke uh, Atkins. Uh, Luke jumped from an airplane, which he had done many times. Uh, he's jumped from an airplane nearly 20,000 times now. 
most of those with a parachute, but not all of them. In July of 16, he jumped without a parachute from 25,000 feet. He reached a, a speed of 120 miles per hour on his descent. Now, he had jumped without a parachute before, so you'd think that this was um, something he'd be used to, but how do you get used to that? He jumped towards a, a target, a net uh, on, on the ground. The net uh, was 100 by 100 feet, so 10,000 square feet. At its corners, it had uh, gas canisters that provided some sort of, of shock-absorbing capacity and was made of these, this neat fabric and cord that supposedly would absorb his, his fall and his speed and everything and keep him safe. But still, everybody on the ground is nervous, including his family. Wouldn't you be? Yeah. So if my son was wanting to jump from an airplane 25,000 feet up, I, I think I, I don't know what I would do. Break in the night before and handcuff him? I don't know. But I, I wouldn't allow that. I'd let Bill Dybert help him not do that. So, um, but, but he, he survived, right? He, he still, he jumped into a safety net. So it's not like he jumped without some sort of safety. And he had done this type of thing before. He knew how to aim uh, his body and, and fly towards the, the target on the ground. And, and everything obviously worked out uh, for good. As humans, we like safety nets, even the most daring amongst us. And so we, we even build financial safety nets. This passage is about the greatest of those safety nets because all those others fail. All those others have some sort of failure. Christ does not. So this morning as we go through this passage, I want us to, to focus on and meet the one that is more offended by any other in the history of the universe. More offended by you and me than any other in our lives. And yet, he is also the one that is the most loyal to us. Isn't that just amazing to you? The one that we offend the most is the one that is also the most loyal. The one that will always be with you, no matter what. No matter how much you offend him. He has promised to be with you always to the very end of the age. Doriani teaches us in his commentary on this, this passage that the first part of the, the Sermon on the Mount uh, was about the, the disciples and their need to be greater than the scribes. Uh, the second part uh, took us in a, in a little bit different direction. Um, but this third part really is about our loyalty to Christ. Our loyalty to Christ, in part because of his loyalty to us. It's the call that he's given to you and to me. So what, what are these safety nets that he, he takes us to? Well, you look in verse 19, and he tells, Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. So we're, we're taught to store for ourselves treasures here on earth. And he's telling us, wait, don't do that. We'll unpack more about what that means in a few minutes. One day I was preaching through this passage back around 1907, or, uh, uh, 19, not 1907, um, I wasn't here then, 2007. Uh, and a friend of mine in the congregation is um, a guy that plans retirements for um, Fortune 50 executives. He's like, that's what he does. And he came up to me afterwards and, and we had some struggles. 
Uh, retirement is good. <laughs> retirement funding is good. Retirement's not found in Scripture, by the way. But re- retirement funding is good. We want to plan. We'll get into that in a minute. So he's not saying don't plan. But he's saying don't store up your, for yourselves treasures here on earth. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy with thieves. Do not break in and steal. One of those is passive. One of those is active. Moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. And he gives it on the other side. Treasure stored up in heaven, moth and rust can't touch. Thieves can't break in and cannot steal. So he gives us some warnings here, but let's take them in, in context of all of Scripture. In Proverbs 24, for example, verse 30. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and a stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and I received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a robber and want like an armed man. I remember waking up one morning as a student at Auburn. I missed a 7 a.m. calculus class. Who schedules calculus for 7 a.m. to begin with? I don't know. Maybe I was the foolish one. But my, my roommate, John Reagan Moore, was sitting by my bedside reading this passage to me. <laughs> a little sleep, a little slumber, poverty will come on you. I'm like, got it, John. He goes, you, you look at Roman or at Proverbs 6, you get the similar type uh, teaching from Solomon. Go to the ant, O slugger, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a robber and want like an armed man. On the one hand, you could say that, yeah, this is teaching us to store up wealth for the future. Um, Not really, not really. It's telling us to prepare, but not to store up and store up and store up and store up and store up. He gives us some limits there. But he is telling us to prepare. If you want food for the following uh, winter, you need to be preparing your fields in the previous winter and planting those fields in the spring, caring for those fields through the summer. And then when the fall comes, you're able to harvest those, those foods for your winter meals. He is teaching us that. And then you go on over to Luke in chapter 12, and we see Jesus giving a parable to to his people. He said, The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He had a bountiful harvest. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. Then I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The final wrap-up on this bit of poetic instruction from Jesus is that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your, where your faith is, where your confidence is, that's where your, your heart will be. It's what you're loyal to. That's what, you, that's what you love. That's what you serve. So he's not saying don't be wise. Don't be wise and prepare 
you know, money now to pay your bills next month or grain so that you've got something to eat in the, in the winter. Not saying that at all. What he is saying is if we're storing up all of those things and that's what we end up serving, that's where we put our hope, our confidence, our faith, that's our safety net for life. It becomes our identity. It becomes what we serve and what we love. And then he says, you fool. You see, we've missed the boat. We've said this is where we'll put our loyalty and our treasure. And Jesus is saying, your treasure, your loyalty is mine. Whom will you serve? This is true not just of money. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones makes the point uh, in his book, beautiful book, by the way, on the Sermon on the Mount. It's about that thick, but it's an easy, easy read. Beautiful book, hard to put down. On this passage, he, he notes that Jesus isn't talking about money alone, although money's a part of it. But he's talking about also all that that money can buy. He's talking about those things that we consider our treasures. Uh, for example, for, for us, it could be wealth, but it could be beauty, fame, power, pleasure, comfort. All of those things can be things that we, we put our, our heart in, our hope in, our faith in, our confidence in, right? Uh, but like money, all those things come and go. They can rot. They can sag. They can be stolen. So what's true of trusting in a financial safety net rather than trusting in God is also true of trusting in a beauty safety net or a fame safety net or a power, or pleasure, or comfort safety net. Anything else we put our trust in. For whether, where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. That's where our love and our loyalty will be. But you offend those other things and they will flee. They will flee and they will be gone. Christ is the only one whom we offend that always, always, always remains loyal and remains with us. There is none other. So why do we put our, our confidence and our hope in these, in these earth-bound treasures? Well, a part of it is due to our own heart. I mean, we, we want to be God. We want to trust in those things we can see, those things we can control, right? We don't put our, our trust, our, our hope in, in a meteorologist, for example. <laughs> you know, every now and then you see something that says 100% chance of rain. Uh, every now and then I'll pick up my, my phone and I'll see the weather report and I'll look at the, you know, the weather app and it says it's pouring down rain outside. And I look outside and I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> not, not here. Not here it's not. We, we, we can't put our, our confidence, our safety net there. We can't put it in, uh, in, in our stocks and our bonds and, and our traders. We can't put it there. Um, we, we, can, we can trust and have confidence in our spouse, perhaps. But, but even then, even then, even then, let's be fair, okay? There are times when I am self-centered. And thankfully, my wife loves me so much that she did not shout amen. But it's the, it's the truth. I can be self-centered. You can be self-centered. You can be self-centered towards your wife, your husband, Children can be self-centered towards their parents, and parents can be self-centered towards their children. So we, we can't even be that ultimate safety net of, of love and trust, even towards those that we love the most. So who defines what is safe then? 
Perhaps it's the one that needs no counselor. In verse 21, or 22, Jesus says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is, is darkness, how great is the darkness. In other words, what, what's coming into your heart and your mind? What are you, what are you feeding yourself? In Isaiah in chapter 40, we read in verse 12, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or marked off the heavens with a span, and closed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Or in Romans 11, for who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Our Father needs no counselor. He needs no instructor. And he is the only one that is like that. So where do we, where do we get our, our, our wisdom and our knowledge? Where do we just get our discernment about what is really safe? Well, we can get it from the culture around us, right? You can get it from all the different media sources. You can get it from the way you're raised. You can get it from your own heart, the things that you can reason out in your own mind. But one of the things that Christ is teaching us clearly here in 22 and 23 is that it has to come from someplace else. It has to come from him. We don't trust, you see, that God is safe and that he is totally loyal and that he will always love us. So we end up looking elsewhere. We don't trust that where our treasure is, well, we can't put our hope there. We don't trust that if we screw up tomorrow that Jesus will still be there. And yet he's the only one that will be. So who defines what is safe? Perhaps one of our greatest weaknesses as humans is that we are so easily deceived. And right now some of you are thinking, yeah, my husband's deceived. <laughs> or yeah, my parents, they are really deceived. My kids, they're the ones that are deceived. My wife, she's deceived. Or Harrison, you're deceived, but I'm not. We think, you know, millennials are thinking, hey, those boomers are, are deceived. And the boomers are thinking, those millennials are deceived. Republicans are thinking, those Democrats are deceived. And Democrats are thinking, the Republicans are deceived. And the reality is, that, folks, we're all, we're all so easily deceived. We even deceive ourselves into thinking that we're not deceived. Perhaps the, the most insidious lie was that, and that is that, is that we're not deceived at all. So we keep making up and building up truth out of our own hearts and minds instead of running to Scripture. Zenith Media expected that in the United States in 2021, that spending on advertising across major media, not small media and small radio stations, but across major media, would top $285 billion, with a B, dollars. That was an 18% increase over the year before. 
$285 billion just in the United States. My friends, that's nearly $900 per man, woman, and child per year. In other words, the, the companies that are spending that money are betting that they can look at a family like the Boyettes with five, of, five folks there. And you can do the math, five times nine. They're expecting that they can spend $4,500 on you and teach you what to think, what to love, what to long for, and what to buy. Why are they doing that? Why do they keep spending that money year after year and increasing it year after year? Because they know, they have confidence that it works. That they can train you, they can catechize you and get you to long for what they think you should long for. They can influence where you're going to put your treasure. Jesus gives us a different direction. So who do we let inform us? Culture or scripture? Who do you let inform your heart and your mind and the way that you love and the way that you live? Will, will we do it with scripture or will we do it with our culture? Will we do it with our our own heart who gets your loyalty and your love you see it's determined by what informs you the eyes of your heart remember that wealth beauty fame power pleasure they rot sag fade and are stolen sometimes by folks with greater wealth sometimes just by time but there's only one that will always be loyal to you and he is free and his name is Jesus. We had a house down the road from our, our home in Vestavia, a suburb of Birmingham. We called it the Statue House. And if you drove through Vestavia, you would immediately know which one we were talking about. I lost count of the statues in their front yard. It seemed like there was a new one every week. There were statues to this God and this saint and this and this and this. I mean, I don't know if they owned a concrete company maybe, but their, their yard, I, I guarantee it had 30 different statues in it, in their front yard. And some of these statues, uh, they were in conflict with one another. You know, which, which one are you going to serve? Sometimes it seems like uh, my heart is a statue factory, a statue house, and I'm just putting one statue after another into it. Are you like that? So what, what, what statues are residing in your hearts? What little idols are, are in your heart? You know, Calvin said that the heart uh, is an idol factory, statue factory, if you will. Where do we put our treasure? Can we serve them all? Verse 24 tells us, nope, no way. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Look at the contrast. There's devoted and despised. There's hate and there's love. They're at opposite ends. You can't serve two masters. So if you're going to put your treasure in your financial safety net or your beauty or your fame or your power, then something's going to suffer, and it's going to be your relationship with Christ. Cannot serve two masters. It doesn't mean that wealth or beauty or fame or power or any of those things are bad. They're morally neutral. But do you serve them or do they serve you? Are they in their proper place in your life? Like other counterfeit 
goods such as power and fame and pleasure and comfort, reputation, they're all positive or negative depending on what you do with them. Man cannot serve both God and money. Man cannot serve both God and wealth, God and fame, God and power, God and the approval of others. Man cannot, cannot. So what are the implications of this for us? I think it's, one is that the constant in our heart and mind is that the offended one is also the one less worthy of ever being offended. And the offended one, the one that we have offended the most, is also the one that is the most loyal to us. Listen, Jesus will always be there with you. Though you offend him greatly today and greater tomorrow, he will be with you the next day. He has promised to never leave you nor forsake you, and his word is true. His love for you has put his loyalty in play so that though you offend him, even if you nail his hands and feet to a cross and shove a crown of thorns upon his head, still he will look at you with love and loyalty and say, today you'll be with me in paradise. How do you devote yourself to the one who has devoted himself to you? Let me give you four things. First, repent. Second, believe. Third, follow. Fourth, feed. Repent, believe, follow, and feed. So we find ourselves loving the stuff of earth, loving the treasures of earth more than we love Jesus Christ, and we repent. How do we know we love those things more? Well, when we get angry when they're gone. You lose power, you lose finances, you see the stock market tumble, and you know angst in your soul and anger. Well, you know that you've loved those things more than you've loved Jesus. So we repent. Repent is a beautiful gift that we have from the Father. Where he calls us to come before him, uh, not in some um, static way, but with deep sorrow. Deep sorrow. Lord, I'm so sorry that once again I've turned from you. Lord, will you please forgive me? And then we turn and we, we do, by his grace and power, walk in a different direction and live a different life. Love a different love. So repent. And then we believe even greater. They come together, repent and believe different sides of the same coin. We believe anew that Jesus is better. Only one thing will cause you to let go of that which you love the most, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus is better. So we repent, we believe, we follow, and we feed. We feed your loyalty. What you feed grows, what you put aside goes. What you feed grows, what you put aside goes. You feed your loyalty through time in worship, through time in discipleship, through time in community, through time with other believers. What you feed grows and what you put away goes. And my friends, Jesus Christ has given all of himself to you, the last drop of his, of his breath, the last drop of his blood, the last breath from his lungs, the last smidgen of his sacrifice, the last ounce of his holiness to crowd out your sin. Jesus has given you absolutely every single bit of who he is. He is worthy of our love and our loyalty. So moment by moment, we worship our Lord God with the loyalty that is due to him and to him alone, with the, with the understanding that it is his passion, his desire, that our joy grow as we worship and give our loyalty to him for his glory, for your joy. Will you pray with me? Father, will you help us in this? Lord, the reality is that, 
that sometimes we, we act like we don't trust you because we don't. It is not that you are not trustworthy, Lord, but that we are broken. And in our brokenness, we choose often to place our love and our loyalty in things and others besides you. And Father, forgive us for that. Lord, forgive us and restore unto us the joy of your salvation. Father, help us to, to repent where we need to, to believe anew, to follow you. Father, by your grace, help us to put our loyalty in you and you alone. Father, if there's someone here this morning, either in person or online, Lord, that, is, uh, that has been loving elsewhere. Lord, I pray that you would help them to this morning to, to return to you. And Father, if there's someone that, is, that has never met you, this is all new to them. Lord, I pray that you would grab a hold of their soul. Lord, that they would repent, believe, and trust you for life, life eternal, and that you would help them to see and know the hope of heaven. In the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Turn your eyes upon Jesus.